Hey everyone, welcome to Rajit Show, the show where I interview people who are reshaping what it means to live well in the 21st century. We talk the creator economy, learning and building in public, and how we can hack our way out of our most pressing issues. Enjoy. Yeah, hi, Nicholas. It's really nice to be able to talk to you. As I was telling you before, you're sort of semi-famous. You're the Gen Z moth Twitter guy. So I go on Twitter, I see this guy who's clearly balling out, and I'm like, I have to talk to him. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so well, much we'll for We'll call it that. No, totally. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. <laughs> the first thing I want to get into is just GZM, right? Because I think GZM is interesting in that it seems like such an unbelievable sort of group to me. There's so much value that's happened to me. There's this collaborative spirit, and people just... The, the focus is on action. And I think any organization where the focus is on action just inherently becomes very exciting. But then there's also this weird duality where Sudarshan talks about literally getting canceled sometimes. And I, I see people throw shade at GZM. And so I'm just wondering, maybe you could take me back to how you got started with GZM and then how you got your title of yeah. uh, Chief Boomer. Yeah, yeah, we'll go into that. I've been in tech for way too long, it seems at this point. But... <laughs> Yeah, no, a couple months ago, I don't even know when, it feels like decades ago, Clubhouse became a thing. And during the whole enthralling of the internet being obsessed with Clubhouse, I started tweeting more. It was during COVID. I hadn't had social interaction in months. I, I was a senior in high school this last semester, and, but I had one class, like one class the whole entire semester. And so I did nothing all day except for work. And so I had no social contact. I was just absolutely bored out of my freaking mind and uh, clubhouse appears and so i hacked my invite i got on the first night it blew up i was the like 572nd user of clubhouse or something which is crazy to think now that it's at like, like tens of thousands of users or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i just started like hanging out and having dumb conversations with the craziest people and i thought it was funny all my friends were really confused because I would like post on my Snapchat story. I was like talking with Hank Green and then everyone was like, oh my God, thank you. Tell them thank you for teaching me biology. It was just, it's just one of those weird moments. And in doing so, like some random conversations happened and we started getting more Gen Zers on the app. Like it was one thing that I was really focused on doing and a couple other people were really focused on doing because at one point I became this Gen Z whisperer. Like every time there was a room where someone mentioned someone under the age of 24, there was no one else in the app other than me. And so they're like, oh, let's get this 18 year old kid on the app. Like he knows stuff. And they just threw me into these rooms. I was getting pinged 24 seven and getting asked like random questions about Gen Z. And it was weird. And so I was just like, we need more people who can also answer these. And so we started doing it. And Nathan Bashes, who's one of my favorite startup people ever, I uh, was in a room with a group of us and he was like, we just need a board of directors for Gen Z. Um, and so we did the classic like clubhouse dumb thing to do when we bought uh, zoomer.company and put up this board of directors website. Um, it blew up like small, low TAM tech Twitter blew up. And so we created the Zoomer company and we we're just screwing around and we showed making memes and we like did this giant brand drop and all these other things. And everyone's like, it's a real company. You know, it's fake. It's, it was like, it was a couple of weeks. It was a month and a half after I'm out the eye. And so... Everyone was super confused. And yeah, and so we all had co-founder and CEO at the Zoomer company in our bios, like everywhere. And people just thought it was funny and stupid. And everyone on Clubhouse was inside on the joke. Everyone outside wasn't. We ended up like contracting and helping out in a few companies just for fun. They were like, oh, we need help with Gen Z stuff. And so 
we took two contracts and just screwed around and we're helping some companies out. But they were all like individually done. The Zoomer company that never officially existed. And so we just rolled that down. But when Gen Z Mafia was created, it was originally this Twitter group chat. And so Carson, Emma, and Suds, and a few other people were like the first six people in it. And somebody goes, oh, we need to add the Zoomer company kids because we just thought that would be funny. Everyone thought it was a scam. They didn't even think we were Gen Z. And so suddenly these two worlds clashed. It was the, the weird, almost hard tech, I guess what some people would call like people who just really wanted to be in tech. And like the group that, that they created the Zoomer company was more of like the consumer social Gen Z tech kids. Because uh, that was like the space I was in previously. And they added us to the group chat and I started helping like organize things. And like maybe 20 minutes later, we hit the 60 person limit on Twitter. And then four Gen Z Mafia Discord servers were created. And then we had to delete three of the servers and get one of them functioning. And so like overnight, I was helping out with stuff. Met Suds and Nick Donahue, who's the CEO at Atmos. And I had been hanging out when I was in SF and we were trying to figure out living things. And like, at one point this house gets created. So all these like weird things slowly start to happen. But yeah, I, I, I self gave myself the role chief boomer a few months ago as a joke mm-hmm. because when we were like adding people, when we were like redoing stuff before the New York Times press release, I just kept... I kept, every time Suds was about to tweet something, it'd be like, no, don't say that. Or say it this way or say something else. Right? It wasn't just Suds, it was like anybody. But I just felt like I was being the angry old guy all the time who was like, you're going to get us canceled. You're going to do this dumb thing. Don't do this. So the reason I think, this is a little biased, but I think the reason Suds thinks he's uncancelable is because I exist in his life. But that's fine. He won't tell you that. No, um, not actually. But so yeah, there was this whole period where I was just like, no, don't do that. Don't do this. This is crazy. Someone was like, we should start an uprising and take over BC. And I was like, this is dumb. Like, why are we giving anybody any resources to do anything? Obviously it wasn't all me and there was so much other stuff going on, but it was just funny. And so at one point I decided to put, I started, I at one point put like cheap boomer in my bio and just just continued because the whole joke was that the Zoomer company, everyone was like the chief Zoomer at Zoomerco. And so I was like, Gen Z Mafia, I'm definitely the chief boomer because no boomers are actually allowed in the server, right? Or actually allowed in the server. But right. Yeah, and so I just fell into that. It was it's been a good time. I continue to 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 rough stuff up every once in a while, but for the most part, everything's been pretty chill. And it's crazy. We're at like three thousand, three and a half thousand active members, like uh, active members, but three and a half thousand members, and right. a few hundred of them are active every week, and I think over sixteen hundred are active every month. And so it's just been crazy to just build this community up around the people around us. And it's living with some of the people that like started this or being around them a lot. Emma doesn't live with us, but she's over at the house in SF a lot. It's pretty insane. Like we sit around the couch and we'll be reading Twitter and someone like has Gen Z Mafia in their bio and we're like, wow, that's weird. Because like yeah. it was this Twitter group chat that we started. But yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you thought about it. It was so funny. I saw Chief Boomer. I'm like, all right, maybe this guy's 23 or something. I don't know what a boomer nope. would be for GZM. I'm actually the youngest out of like the founding group and that house by far. I'm 18. So yeah, definitely got the whole crew beat, which is like where the irony comes into play. Yeah, I was just thinking about that because I was going to ask you, it's so you've activated so many people in such a short amount of time, right? Because then you had 60 or so people in that Twitter group chat. And now I talk to people all the time, definitely noticing the GZM thing. I guess that's just the bubble that I end up being in, in Twitter, just by virtue of following people like you, but just noticing a lot of people with Gen Z Moff in their bio and also just random people. I've had conversations with people for this thing and they mentioned to me that they're in Gen Z Mafia, and I'm just like, holy cow. Yeah. Oh, we've heard stories of like 
people, investors that we know at board meetings this past quarter, like bringing up Gen Z mafia and asking for interest, which blows my mind and should not be the case, but it's ridiculous. Uh, so it's just, it's the littlest things. But at the end of the day, like I think Gen Z mafia has come down to this brand and like beyond anything else, yes, we're a community, but I think now we're more an ecosystem and we're something that has like a movement and, or, or not maybe a movement, but some magnitude and some direction. There's velocity and that velocity like is really able to drag people who like think they're even thinking about tech into tech. We're providing yeah. spaces for people to talk about these things and do this other stuff. I think that's what's really magical about it. Like, and I mean, I, I, I take absolutely zero credit for the fact that Z Mafia exists. I've just been so grateful for the fact that there is even a community like that and that we were able to do it so fast. And I'm so thankful that I could go help and do that. And so it's the work of dozens of people that make it happen. And I think a few of us have become the face for it. There was, we, we had three photos in an article for the New York Times. It's just crazy to think that behind those people, it really took like a whole entire village to, to continue and, and still now it is continuing to keep Gen Z Mafia going. And we have, we have, we have a bumpy road, like life's insane. The world's crazy. And when you have, when you go from 60 to 3000 people over the course of a few months mm -hmm. and you're not expecting it, you want a small group chat and like suddenly you have this giant movement underneath you. It's interesting. We hit crossroads. I mean, if you were in the survey the other day, like you saw that we had a, hour and a half long kind of just town hall talking about all those small things that are happening and how we can create the community to be more open and a little more diverse and not make sure we making sure we don't have this like echo chamber which i think is super duper important right. but yeah right it's not just i think it's a very specific kind of person that's attracted to it for right. sure i think it's more like a i feel like it's more like an inner mantra right like and I think there's some dangers to it. Like, don't get me wrong, but like, it's time to build. It's kind of become the mantra behind us. It's more of a meme than like yeah. an entire seriousness. But I think we as a generation have this need to go do something. And mm -hmm. to be fair, I don't, I don't think the way we're doing it is 100% correct. It's very easy to pick up the same tool constantly. But what I think is really exciting is like, we have so many channels that just sit around and discuss the efficacy of things right can we do this how do we do this and then okay let's say we want to start like solve climate change this month is starting a company the way to do that do we have to just get rid of government and there's these like crazy questions and topics that we have to start asking ourselves it's mm -hmm. about answering the white questions and but i think like the real thing with gen z mafia it's really beautiful we've created an open space where people can you know ask questions and just try things and it's really for a lot of like young people right because i think our average age we need to do a good census but i think our average age is like 19 1819 it skews fairly young we're like opening people up to this idea of having a sandbox mode like most of them are finishing high school uh, about to be in college or are in college and mm -hmm. college is a little bit less of the case but like the one thing i'm beyond grateful for is like recognizing the sandbox mode that i had in high school me and my friends started a company in middle school and we were entirely able to do that and have a great time and make it this insane learning experience because we didn't have anything to worry about and like when you have that opportunity and you have the resources that you can draw from, that's super powerful. And like one thing we're focused on with Gen Z Mafia is maintaining that sandbox mode for people, but just on the other end, right? Like it's not the, rather than like having to help someone with their worry about having a place to live, having food, whatever else, which is generally this weird founder struggle. A lot of us will tell you about it for a short period before you actually get funding. Like you have two months of personal runway or else you're dead, like <laughs> basically. And 
I know it's not the case for everybody, but like for a lot of people, they have the ability to just go try whatever they want when they're in that space. And then on the other side, like Gen Z Mafia, really, I think at the end of the day, we really want to be a resource for people to, you know, collaborate with people, come up with new stuff and have the resources to try things. Um, and what's really beautiful is that the ecosystem of tools that are being built, right? Like one of my favorites is, if you haven't talked to him, Johnny Dallas, one of my favorite people. Johnny was like super early on Gen Z Mafia, runs this company called Zeet, Z-E-E-T dot co. And they're, they're like trying to fix the DevOps problem, right? Like it's so hard for new and young engineers to get into DevOps. Deploying your first project takes forever. Um, and it's one of the things that like I've watched kill young engineers when they're trying for the first time and they like, they hit this roadblock. The great ones overcome it immediately, right? They'll, they'll literally starve themselves until they figure out how to deploy something. But like for a lot of people, it's just not the case. And to allow this next generation of builders, right? No code's really beautiful because it lets people who maybe aren't meant for coding build stuff. DevOps is something we need to fix. And like Z is amazing and the thing that he built and it's so fantastic. But like Gen Z Mafia, both as a platform and as members, like basically piloted Z as a product. And like right. on top of that, Johnny's been super chill about like giving people like free server space if necessary. Um, when someone's like, hey, I want to launch this. I'll be making money in two months. He's been super chill about going out and being like, yeah, sure. Here you go. I'll walk you through it. Like, let's deploy this thing together. A number of things he's helped me on, like writing freaking Docker files for like insane systems. Like he'll just sit down with me for an hour and chat. And I think that's the real beauty of it. Like Gen Z Mafia is not only telling people that they have this opportunity, but providing them with this network that happens to be creating the resources they need to do it. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it like that, it's just, it's this really beautiful kind of living, almost organism-like thing, rather than just this like community of people who are shitposting all the time. Which I think there's beauty in each side. That's always a good time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there's obviously that's that's the image for the server. There um, is. There's so much stuff, right? It's, it's hard to maintain. I'll tell you that. Like there's been long nights, but the beauty of it's just like what I think keeps everyone who's trying to help it going. And I think the really nice thing that we found is when you have something that's important, but it, the haters or whatever you want to call them, they're like willing to help. There are so many people who are like in my DMs who are like, hey, like this thing happened. Can we like chat about it? Also, I think here's a good way you can fix it so it doesn't happen again. And as long as we're like keeping up with that, it's amazing. It's like people, I I think obviously there are things that have gone wrong and we're trying to deal with that. But Mm -hmm. there's just, it's really beautiful that like we found something that people who like have issues with us still want and want to make better. Super duper beautiful. Yeah. I think this whole space of community building is really interesting right now. Obviously, there's the lack of social interaction. When I spoke to Justin Murphy, he presented this idea of reality entrepreneurs. So he said, reality is up for grabs. And then we can literally create a new type of reality. And I think GZM has done that for a lot of people in a sense, right? If your reality is you live at home and you're just with your parents and your friends that live in your local area, that's a very different reality than having the freedom to have people all over the world help you with whatever project you're working on. So I think in that sense, it's been really empowering. But what's also interesting is so you're still 18. So you're not in college? I'm not doing, I'm building my own college. Yeah. Yeah, So what? Next do it yourself university. As I've jokingly been calling you recently, but, mm-hmm. but yeah. So, so you are, you're 18. So you're from Atlanta, right? So you graduate from high school. So you're a senior in high school. So I graduated in May. So March 13th happens. 
you yes. probably have a virtual graduation. I didn't even get one of those, actually. I had an in-person graduation, but it was the Friday after I flew out to SF, and they didn't tell us about it until the Friday before. So I was like, as I'm getting on a plane flying to San Francisco, I get an email that's like, hey, by the way, your graduation's next Friday. And I was like, not happening. So I'll oh. chill. Yeah. Why did you end up going to SF? Honestly, it was like in the middle of everything. Why not be in that one place where there's just enough people? I, I was working on a project uh, at the time and decided to go live out with the team for a bit in SF. And I think like at the end of the day, there's still a serendipity there. As much as everyone wants to say SF's moving, it's just not the case. There's mm-hmm. you know hundreds of young people flocking to that city right now and they continue to will be. The, the news story of SF is being revived by young people isn't as fun as like, SF's dying. It makes a much better headline. I don't think people want to talk about that. It's not controversial. It's, it's not the contrary intake. The number of people seem alone is helping move out to San Francisco is insane. And like the number of just like next semester houses. I have a couple of friends who are like at Georgia Tech. We're all like taking next semester off. They've submitted their leave for the semester. And mm-hmm or getting a house apartment together in SF. Like I think across the street from the Atmos house, the atmosphere where we're, we're looking at a place there. And so it's just, it's insane. You think you hear all about this. It's all on Twitter. It's ah, the text of this is happening. And you're like, okay, if we actually look at it, I'm convinced that we're going to be there for a while. SF isn't the place I want to live up, end up. I've been also like torn between SF and LA recently. Like it's part of me trying to figure out if I want to get, go back or continue to stay in like more of a consumer space. I think SF really has a lot of this beauty, like no matter what, I'll be struggling the two. And yeah, I was just like, I was supposed to be going out at end of May and I pushed it back till June. So like June 20th, I think I flew out. Wow. So you, like yeah, I think, right. The SF's not, definitely not uh, perfect. There's definitely issues there, but yeah, it's interesting when you see on Twitter, people talking about maybe Austin or Miami. And it's always very surprising to me because I, I definitely noticed more of the counter narrative where even I myself, right, was thinking about moving to SF and then tapping into that and realizing that there's literally um, so many other people just in my personal network who felt the same way. Um, Yeah, no, for sure. I think the beauty of it is the serendipity. Like, I joke about it, it's not entirely serious, but I think during a non-COVID world, you can walk out to the street of SF and yell that you're starting a company and probably get a 10K check. Like literally walk into the middle of any street. You run into so many people. I think Ryan Hoover has a Twitter thread from like years ago about someone walking up to him in a Phil's coffee shop, pitching a product that he invested in and ends up like trending on product time, getting the rest of its investment. He was like, this is, it's the magic of SF. It might not have been Ryan, but it was definitely somebody has this Twitter thread. It's like, and I think like during COVID, yeah, it's not the same, but gosh, the number of people I've been on walks with or like random picnics in the park. Like, it's ridiculous. So you create this environment where, mm-hmm. where it's just like totally doable. And I think as the, the group moves, sure. And you can have serendipity online, but there's really this magic to being together. Like the number of things that happen just like in our living room, because we're in a place having a conversation is fantastic. I don't think, I think all of these things can move on. I think it's totally doable, but I don't think like Keith Reborn moving to Miami is enough force to pull the whole entire you know, right. concept of Silicon Valley to the right. other coast. Most it's going to, SF will be the incubator for young people getting into tech and then graduate onto this online place where you can be wherever you want. 
Right. Yeah, there's definitely a series of interesting shifts going on right now with people talking about the remote work decade. And it's it's particularly interesting to me to see how people can work their work around their life instead of the other way around. But part of the part of the thing I'm interested in is that you you know, I'm interested in people that are disengaged from this linear narrative of you go to college and then you get a job and you get a nine to five and, and yeah. retire at 65 or something like that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just interested in how you, it sounds like you actually got into tech pretty early, right? You're a year younger than I am and um, already doing some pretty cool things. But also I'm just wondering what, I think anyone that's interested in technology has this sort of magical moment where they, they just find something particularly cool. And for a lot of people, that's like sci-fi or video games or something like that. Yeah. But I'm just under, interested in what inspires you the most about technology. And also, I guess the story of how you got involved while you were still in high school. Yeah. So, I mean, do we go backwards or forwards? Ah, I mean, I'll, we'll, we'll go. I'll also answer your second question first. So, I was really into space when I was little. Not that I remember much of it, but I think I been to kindergarten or like halfway through first grade, I read every book about space in both my school and public library because I just was so, so into it as a kid. And yeah, it was like this thing that just absolutely fascinated me. It was like this, I think so many tech people are just insanely into space and I never really lost touch with it. I think space is still the most amazing thing and there's so many fantastic things about it. But what really got me into tech was when I was in, when I was eight or nine, like NASA open source mission control software. And I was like, this is interesting. And I started like, reading an article and I like go to the code base. Uh, I don't think it was hosted on GitHub at the time. I think they were still using their own like weird Git system. Um, NASA's now since moved over to like, an enterprise version of GitHub. But yeah, I was like, I don't know how to read this. So I'm going to figure it out. Because like, I, I think I was, I was interested in technology as a kid more physically, like I would take things apart and put them together. Your classic, like young engineer right. story. But um, yeah, I was like, what is this? I don't know. So I started teaching myself the code. I forgot about the whole mission control thing. I just like randomly fell into like the whirlpool of being an engineer. And did that, got into some web stuff, did some freelance like web design for one of my parents, like friends during sixth grade. And then during the end of seventh grade, me and one of my friends, Coleman Oates, who's like also in GZM and starting to to tweet more. We both really wanted to be in our broadcast program, which was for eighth grade only. But people who are notorious for making ourselves in charge of something, even though we probably shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. So we quickly pulled a few strings with like just the right people to let us participate in the broadcast program in the mornings at school. And at the end of the semester, they were like, hey, we want to do a full broadcast class your eighth grade year. And the first semester, we made sure we were both in it. And then the second semester, we not only got, got in the beginning, we weren't supposed to. But we got into that both of our like elective classes were in broadcasting. And so for one period, we actually did the class, but not really for the second period. We just had a free period during the day. Mm-hmm. And so we both, we were, we like stumbled upon product time at the end of seventh grade year. And we were like, this is interesting. We want to do this. And so um, we learned about startups and launched this company called Ease. Ease was this SMS-based personal assistant. We like started working on it about eight months before Facebook announced M, which was their hybrid intelligent assistant that they later shut down. And we just screwed around for 18 months building this thing. We launched it, had a few thousand people on our wait list, had a few dozen users, like full-time using it, and almost 100 and, I think 130, who were like using it every once in a while. And it was just a phone number you could text and ask it to do anything. And we started to automate it. And 
I came up with this thesis for hybrid intelligence before it was this, you know, trend in 2013, 2014 that we knew about. We were like, oh, we're going to high school. We're bored. This is dumb. So just, but during that whole time period, like seventh, growing into eighth grade, I like realized that I didn't like school in a way that I was like willing to pay attention to it. So I was like, how do I like get through this? And I think it all started with this one day where I was ex- or seventh grade. Or in this room, my friend Townsend's sitting next to me. And mm-hmm. Actually, he was sitting next to me. One of my other friends was next to me. But we, he was like confused about what the teacher was teaching. And so like, I'm explaining to him. And this teacher gets like really mad at me. She had that classic. But do you remember the like tablets that weren't actually tablets, but they, like, they would write on the whiteboard? They were weird. Like, they were like all white. They didn't actually have any screen on them, but they had a little pen. And like, it would like write oh, on the yeah, screen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you couldn't see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like tablets before iPads existed. And she had one of those and was walking around the classroom lecturing. And she hears me whispering to him, explaining. And because every, everyone in the class looks super confused. And I got it. Pre like pre calc. Math was my thing. Beyond pre calc, I'm like, ah, oh, whatever. It's dumb. But so yeah, we're like sitting in eighth grade math. Or we're taking eighth grade math. So it's like advanced math. And we're all chilling out. And I'm explaining this to this kid. And she gets really mad. And she's, do you want to teach? Mm-hmm. And like jokingly gestures to hand her tablet to me. And I just take it and start teaching in class. And she's like pissed just enough that she's going to wait on me for like two minutes just to see what happens. And 35 seconds in, the whole entire class erupts and it, oh my God, I get it now. Like you just hear the sound of the room changes. Everyone's brain just click. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, no, she hated me for the rest of the year. It was a great time. And I totally forget this story until a few years later where my friend Townsend and I were like randomly texting. He's like, do you remember this day in Miss Smith's class? Mm-hmm. she's like this is like my most notable memory of you is you just like suddenly doing this and he's like then after that you like refuse to pay attention to that class you like ace all the tests and just would like work on other things at your desk mm-hmm. and i was like interesting and like i realized later on that this was like during this whole period of this moment where i was like i need to be in school because it's this thing it is this linear path people expect and i want to i want to experience it but at the same time, like, how do I get out of it? And so I did that a little bit. And then going into high school, they were like, no, I, I tried so many loopholes. And they were like, no, you can't really do that. But they were like, oh, you're really smart, though. And I didn't get forced into all AP classes, but like I did in a way. It was like, you're, you should be an AP student. And I was like, okay, I guess. Like, that's cool. So the summer before high school, after we like kind of sunset ease, I get brought onto this digital agency. I'm like, I want to do some work over the summer. So I'm, what, 14, 15 at the time? No, 14 at the time. Yeah, 14 at the time. And just I was chatting with some people, they were running a Kickstarter to start this like all, all young kind of digital platform for almost like Etsy. And during the summer, we like shifted this digital agency. And during this whole shift, someone goes, oh, you're no longer like senior full stack engineer. We think you should just try being our COO. And so little me who is like coded and been obsessed with the space suddenly becomes head of operations for a company that is like at the time, six people over the course of two years, scaled to 30 people. And I just figured it out. And so it was this really cool experience where like, I built a company and then I like, ran a company. But while doing that, I like also was trying to be an AP student, which I guess in retrospect, horrible idea. Don't do that. Right. Anyone's yeah. listening. And you're thinking about also running a 30-person company while trying to be an AP student. Pick one. I said with the company, but if you're listening to me, you probably shouldn't be listening to me. You already know your answer. But yeah, so like burnout was insane. I cannot stress how horrible the end of sophomore year was. And so like during all of this, during this whole period of just insanity, 
there's some rework happening in the company. I step back and I like go to the school and I'm like, okay, what can we do where I can do basically not whatever I want. It's not how I worded it, but basically it was like whatever I want to graduate because my parents would not let me drop out. There's no way, but they're like, so I ended up choosing dual enrollment, which is this like really cool program we have in Georgia. And I know a lot of other states have it as well, where I got to go to college for my credits and also like still take high school classes if I wanted to. And junior year, I took two classes at the high school and like four at college each semester, which meant I had two and a half hours, no, sorry, three and a half hours of school time every day compared to seven. And senior year, I took one class at the high school and one at the college and found some more loopholes, which... It's definitely going to be fun to talk about in a minute. But, and so for me, it was just like, okay, now how do I fill this time with whatever I can do? And so I worked at a VC firm for a little bit and started doing experiments and testing on stuff and like fully embracing the, the sandbox mode that I had for the last years in high school. And for me, like I started taking this like really deep look on what education was. Education is something I've been passionate about. I, I was so into helping unlock my peers' potential and got into that a lot more. And I think education is this game that we play and every it is a linear mode, as you called it. I don't think it's entirely linear, uh, but it's very much this, I, I, I would generally refer to it as a, a religious or a religion in a way, or almost cultic. There's just a set of rules that we got, go by, you like rank up in the rules. And it's kind of this like game of society that we have. Education is almost the backbone of, of the society thing. And as I started to realize that I was like, how low can I go? And then start to drift off, but like still maintain the status of this old game that I was playing and start to create my own new game. And I was one of those, I was very engineering minded as a child. I was, I, I found loopholes within reason. And so I somehow fell into the trap of doing that for school as well. So my senior year, like second day of school, they call me in and they're like, okay, so you're taking two classes, the superintendent's office call, you need to take four. And I was mm. like, no. And they're like, but you can't graduate unless you take four. And I was like, I already have over the maximum number of credits I need to graduate. What are you doing? They're like, we have this one class you have to take next semester. And you can only, you know, even finish this semester if you take four classes. And so I was like, whatever. I was like, you need to take two more classes. And I was like, so what are two classes I can take that I don't have to be here for? And they're like, internship. Can you get an internship? And I was like, I work, I like run a company. So I was working on some stuff at the time. And they were like, oh do you have somebody to report to? And I was like, well, as the CEO, I report to a board that includes only me. Oh and they're my like, gosh. interesting. Yes. I got to sign all of my paperwork for both semesters <laughs> of high school, grading myself for two credit hours per class. I had random like personal advisors sign stuff every once in a while when they really asked for it. But somehow the superintendent's office let it slide. Um, and then about four weeks into school, I uh, got invited to go to the Forbes Summit with one of my like personal mentors. So I go to the Forbes Center 37 in Detroit last fall, just over, just, yeah, just over a year ago. And I go into the school and I was like, okay, so like, I'm not going to be at school for this whole entire week. Can we excuse it somehow? Is there a way to do this? And someone who I knew who was one of the, actually was one of the vice principals who like knew me fairly well to do some stuff in the school was like, okay, so technically if it's for your, if it's for a class, you have seven days of in-class field trips that you can take up to 20-something days per semester. So they're like, so you have 14 days technically out of each semester that you can like mm -hmm. just excuse. And they're like, and since it's internship, like you just need to get your teacher to confirm that it was you. And they're like, all they'll want is a letter of you thanking the company for inviting you on this event. 
and then the company saying that you were actually there. So I got to write a letter to myself, thanking myself for inviting me to Detroit, and then wrote a letter to the school, thanking the school for letting me go. And if that's not the biggest life hack I've ever pulled off, I don't know what it is. But it's like, it's all about these little things. It's as you like start to recognize the linear path, you recognize the game, and you like see the rules, you can like also start to recognize, when you recognize where the rules are flawed, you also like know how to exploit them and you can start creating your own games on top of them. And I think that's the really magical thing out of all of it is. And in this concept of creating realities, I, I love what Dustin has to say about all of that too. Like it, mm-hmm. he's absolutely brilliant, right? On it. I push more to the real superpower you can truly unlock for yourself is being able to break out of reality. Because we talk about this a lot in history, like as a concept, but I mean, it, it's even more apparent in the present, we just refuse to recognize it. It's one man's perspective is everyone else's reality, right? There are, in most cases, like history is defined by the person who won, who wrote the story. There's enough cases of this, but like the present is defined by the people who like say anything that is considered fact and truth. And so when you can break out of that reality, when you can create your own rules, and when you can start to recognize why you were doing something and push yourself in every direction or just be able to you know, see in yourself that like you're doing this rather than that. And maybe you should just be trying that. It's like we pick up the same tools over and over again. It's why I've become really obsessed with this concept of being a generalist rather than an engineer. I'm like writing a whole Twitter thread about it right now. It's just it's so easy to go back to the same thing over and over again. And if you can like create the reality for yourself, right? So like for me, and like creating my own college, I was looking at like, what are the things people even consider college? What is this construct? And then like, how do I provide myself the same benefit? Like in all ways, long-term. So that's what I spent the last few months doing and starting on that journey. And yeah, and I think it's just like technology gives us the tools to do that. I think that's why I'm so fascinated by it. I think tech as this like term kind of what you're talking about is just, I think it's bloated. I think everything is technology at this point. We live in the 21st century, for God's sake. Like, we talk about it as this thing that's like full of techno- technological wonder, but you don't realize like everything is technology. When we talk about technology, we're talking about complex systems. That's just the, the basis of it. And if you can understand those complex systems and you can start to build things, it's the reason why we have modern psychology companies held in the same regard as Facebook, right? It's because everything is technology. No one, there's no pure definition of it. I think it's like the beauty of it is as we like, as we as people begin to understand things, be, begin to recognize the natural law, we can build on top of that. And we can build systems that give people better incentives, move them to do things, or just like create benefits to their life in some way. That's why technology is super beautiful. I think that's very important thinking about how we can align incentives in a way that allow individuals to make the most of their experiences. Specifically, like you did, Eric Tornberg has a series of tweets and, and then also write his Substack articles about unbundling college. And so you certainly got the yeah. uh, making friends part down and uh, living away from home. I think you're, yeah, <laughs> regardless. Oh, of- yeah, I don't even think those are the making friends, maybe. I, yeah, I'm in the process of writing a, a blog post on it. But I've, after talking to a ton of people who are in the education space, the like neo education space, I'm just like, sitting on it for myself. Like college is made up of these four pillars, right? We have education, certification, community, and networking. And like, those are like the four focal things. And I think, you know, Eric talks about that a little bit. But I think the real thing about unbundling college isn't like creating new college, which is like one thing I like in a way 
disagree on some of the things that, that he said. But like unbundling colleges, creating new education systems, and by that I mean like new games, right? Like we were talking about earlier, these new many religions you build for yourself so that you can solve better and greater challenges. Like what we forget is that the education system as it is now is built to produce only scholars and manual labor. That's it, right? Like you either are a scholar or you work in manual labor. And everyone else who doesn't fit in those two categories are people who like fell off the track and started a new one. They were at an interchange and they went off. Yeah. Like that's what university is meant for. And that's what high school is meant. That's what like the, the public education system in the United States is meant for. And if you look at those games, it's like, how can you create games that make you something or solve new problems? And I think a lot of it's asking the right questions and pushing yourself forward. It's, it's also how do you put yourself through like the tough experiences? And it's, it's why some new colleges are like super powerful. Right? Olin is this insane engineering university. It's so project focused. I mean, even Georgia Tech has some interesting programs. Innovate is the, the startup uh, program at GT or, or whatever it is. CreateX. But uh, create, yeah, they're CreateX and where you're just put in the pits. Like you just yeah. have to go for it. And they force you to do something. So this is why looking back, I realized the best learning experiences were where I just gave, when I had the ability to, gave all safety up and was like, okay, like how do I start a company? And I was like, okay, how do I run a company? And like someone's, hey, like you're now in charge. I'm just, I'm going to take it and I'm going to run with it. Obviously in the best of my ability where I'm not screening anyone else over, but when someone was like, hey, you should like try being CEO. Like we're six people right now. I can just see what happens. Like, you seem good at ops, even though you know nothing about it, which is try. And I tried and I was like, was helping out a BC firm for a little bit. And they were like, for me, it was like, okay, what does investment even look like? Like when someone comes to me with five companies, how do I pick which one is the best? And then also messing up on it. There was, so I was in Atlanta, like helping out at a BC firm in SF. And there's one call that doesn't still bug me, but I, I they were just talking with the person I was talking to, the partner at the, the firm was like, oh, hey, here's a few companies we're thinking about that we've talked to this week. What are your thoughts on this and this? And I was like really excited about one of them because I'd used it recently. And I knew about the other one, but I was like, I think it's a cool product, but I don't see the long-term value in it. Mm-hmm. And like four months ago, I finally saw the long-term value in it. Right? It, was like, it was like a year and a half, two-year learning experience where I was like, this is the end goal I wanted them to be at, but I just didn't see it 18 right. months ago. Yeah. I'm not like, whatever, I can't do anything about it. But it's just like, when you have those things, when you have those experiences that aren't handed to you, like education is so much about like almost, in a way, handing things to you, right? There's core things you have to work for, but you get told stuff. You have a book, you have these other things, you have these experiences where there's a, there's obviously an end goal, something you have to discover. That's cool. But the real gems are the ones where like something happens and you have to create an answer for yourself. You have to understand what you did wrong. You have to put yourself in a retrospective. There are literally experiences where there's like all these holes missing, right? They're almost, they're almost like fables or like parables where they make no sense until everything just clicks and suddenly you've like found this lesson that stays with you forever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what's super important. I think that's what the future of education as a whole is. It's how do we discover things for ourselves? A really good friend and like mentor of mine, David Holt, took this thread a couple of weeks ago. That was about how we learn physics from a young age by like playing with a basketball yeah. or like a soccer yeah. ball. We see this arch that occurs and suddenly when we're like 15 and 16 and we're in a physics class or I mean, even in middle school, someone draws this curve on a board and you're like, oh my God, basketball, right? 
what are the tools, what are the games, what are the toys that we're going to create where like the next generation just by nature of playing understands creating galaxies. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. At the core fundamental understanding that we have of our universe is like gifted to a child in the form of a round object. So it's like, what are kids going to be playing with 20 years from now? And what can you create for yourself to play with now? that teaches you these fundamentals that you're like, you'll never understand without that like first interaction with, which I just think is crazy. That's what education is. It's about taking someone from their, like their playful state and unlocking, you know, an understanding of the universe in their brain. That's so pure and just natural and continuing to do that over and over again. is just where we like really create a next generation of people who can solve the world's problems. Yeah, that's super cool. I I pull moments out of every interview. And so I just made a little mental note to pull that one out there. But yeah, yeah, I think when I I spoke to Justin, he talked about a similar thing where he, he talked about why he left academia. And it said it was because he was pursuing what he called the true intellectual life. And, and the true intellectual life is this sort of internal feeling that I think you're talking about there. It's this wonder. It's when something clicks. It's when you read a really good book or, or when you're writing something and it starts to the pieces come together for you. But yeah, I think this idea of creation, that's if, if you read most people that have created something, that's what Paul Graham advocates. If you have no idea what you want to do, just try to create something around right. it and you'll inherently understand if you like it or not. So I think the idea that action comes before any sort of inspiration or understanding is a core idea. But I also think, right, when, when we're thinking about education, when we're thinking about something and handing something to us, I, I had the at a certain point, school can start to feel like a series of arbitrary hoops that someone's laid out yep. to jump through. And so I think the the thing that I struggle with, which I think is the flip side of people handing things to you, is that people, not people, but the system inherently can make demands on your time that you don't necessarily agree with. And so I think that's the flip side of not being able to create these gems for yourself is for that sure. you feel like you don't have control just because you are being taught to as you said be a scholar or be a an employee somewhere yeah yeah i think that's i think the thing there is it seems like the logical thing for so many people to do is drop out leave the system stop letting it take your time i was literally having a conversation with one of my friends the other day we're having coffee like she's 16 she's a junior she was like i'm just so tired of this. Like I can't do what I want. I want the freedom. Mm-hmm. But I think like the thing is to be able to recognize the, like the inherent beauty of the environment you're in, like one, and then two, figure out ways that you can have freedom in that. Like dropping out isn't like the key. Paul Graham has this quote where he was like, someone asked him they should drop out. And he was like, if you're asking me the answer is no. If you think me saying yes is the reason you should drop out, then if you should drop out is no. Mm -hmm. I think that's a thing. There's a, if you are like at terms with yourself enough, which I think most people are by the time they're ready to escape the linearness of it right now, then yeah, go for it. Like you'll know, you'll have this like feeling inside of you where it's, it's just, it's time to let go uh, and float adrift in the void away from the, this nice road that like seems to be paved before you and 
But I think other than that, it's like, can you create the spaces in which you can do the things you want? Like with that, it's people just don't realize the opportunity that they have in front of them. There are so many insane programs and insane places. If you want to do college, like by all means, go do it. And there's so many cool places you can go do it. If like the traditional college isn't your answer and you want something crazy. Like there are crazy universities that have gotten certified to give you a degree as well as letting you do crazy stuff. Like I said, Olin's one, the Minerva Institute in in San Francisco as well. They're, they're had the base in SF, but I mean, Minerva lets kids like travel all over the country or all over the world during their, their four years of college. And it's all about complex systems and, and thinking about new things in new ways. And there's so many young universities and young people thinking about this. And I can't talk about a lot of it, but I've talked to so many people recently who are working in education, who are thinking about these things in so many new ways. Like there are going to be opportunities to fix this. And so I think for, I think the thing is like, you just have to find how you create an environment for you where you can do those things, right? How can you create a world inside of your, your yeah. reality right now? How can you start to bend it? It's almost like, it's a good Dr. Strange moment, right? It's like, how do you provide this fractal where you can, you can walk through the wall, walls that you think are there or, or whatever else? It doesn't have to be one or the other. You don't have to commit to a reality or create a new one. Like you can start to work them, which I just think is so beautiful. Yeah, I, I think... The interesting thing, and this is what Justin told me too, he said, I think there's a thing uniquely going on in the 21st century where if you go into this constructed reality, right, hard enough with enough passion, sort of understanding what you're doing, and that reality could be GCM, it it could be something that you've created, then it literally starts to feed back onto reality itself, our physical reality. And I think that's one avenue to like you said, warp your reality and find some freedom there. But yeah, 16 is a bit early to drop out, I think. <laughs> um, oh yeah, no, for sure. I don't think that's what she was saying either, but it's just like, what can I do that mm-hmm. creates those things? Right. So yeah. the last question I, I always ask people doing these interviews and you've, you've answered it um, already, but it's what excites you the most about the future whether that's something in your own life or just something about the direction in which you think the world is moving. Give me two seconds. Just pushing my next couple of minutes. Um, no, gosh, what excites me about the future or the world? Honestly, like I will continue to be a Gen Z advocate 24 seven. I think our generation school is shit. And I think we've grown up in a very unique situation and people will find me on all day long, but we grew up, the majority of us have grown up entirely on the internet. Maybe, maybe not just Gen Z, but our generation and all subsequent generations have this like inherent ability to understand natural law. And we don't realize it. We haven't fully you know, embraced it yet. But we have this understanding of how the world works and how social interaction connects us and how we can make things move. We... You're a generation of meme lords and change makers, right? Which I just think is this like crazy thing. And it's just absolutely inspiring to watch people come together and be like, I want to do this and make it happen. I mean, how swiftly it gets done. And I think as we start to organize ourselves more and we start to work together to, to spread these tool sets that each of us have and share them with one another, Mm-hmm. The things we're going to be able to do are way crazier. And so I, I think that if we can make that happen, if we can teach this generation or the next to truly embrace 
the world in this unique way and use this, this like deep understanding of these like first principles of the, the reality that we exist in and the reality that we want to make, I think we're unstoppable. And I think someone said that about every generation, sure. But I just, I think what we are as an organ, like just this living, you know, breathing movement, right? Gen Z has started to stand for so many insane things on both sides. Like we are young and politically active on all issues and on, on all issues on both sides of the aisle, like people want change and they want things a certain way. And the fact that, you know, we can come together and just make things happen is insane. Like it's just so beautiful. And I think it proves that we're going to be able to do some cool stuff. Someone just tweeted that like 2020 was the year of Gen Z. And I'm, I'm hoping next year is even more the year of Gen Z than this one. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> me too. Yeah, me too. And right. Certainly it's, I think it's definitely conversations uh, with people who, excite me about that potential that make me the most hopeful for the future. So I, I really appreciate you, you making the time to talk to me. And it's, it's definitely something that I'm, I'm going to take away from this and think about and hopefully write about is just this idea of what does it mean to create our own reality? And what does it mean when, right, this generation of <laughs> meme lords and change makers who actually understands these first principles of the computer age gets a hold of the reins? Yeah, I'm excited. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. Thanks so much. And yeah, again, I really appreciate it. And yeah, take care. For sure. Have a good one. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Please like, subscribe, tweet, text, and share so that more people can find the podcast. Take care and we'll see you next time.